Thank you, Chancel Choir, and thank you, Bellissimo, and thank you, Carol Choir, and all the marvelous music on this All Saints Day really helps make this occasion, this day, even more sacred and more meaningful. And thank you, those of you who are here today, to honor your beloved family members. We're grateful for your presence. And we thank you for what your loved ones have meant to us here across the years. There seems to be a really good spirit this morning. People seem to be wide awake. I think this hour sleep thing has done us all good. And I think I'll do it again next weekend. I sort of like the, <laughs> sort of enjoy that. But I forget from year to year how the different, when the time changes, how it impacts the light in these windows to the, the south, I believe this is over here. And, um, the, the glorious light changes with the, the seasons and the change of time. And that's a, that's a good thing. It is good to see you. It is good to be together on this All Saints Day and also the beginning of our stewardship emphasis this year, though it's a year-round emphasis. I thank Alan Bell so much for his own target, spot-on words this morning. And uh, so we're going to talk about those things for the next few weeks and give you a chance to examine your own hearts and uh, give us as a church a chance to examine where we are on uh, matters of finance and how these things impact our ministry in this community and around the world. So thank you for being here and giving attention to these matters. I've started this morning with the help and mainly they did it and I helped them. David Knuckles, our stewardship chair, and Mark Pass, who teaches Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University here in this church, a class that is based on our stewardship emphasis this year, a book called Enough by Adam Hamilton. And uh, we had, I think, there were about 15 of us this morning. We meet in the conference room and the annex building next door, the old bank building, and invite you to join us next Sunday at um, 9.45. If you don't have a Sunday school class or if you want to take a few weeks and look at some of this material with us, I've got extra books. Just let me know and we'll get those to you. And uh, we'll enjoy learning together. So thank you, Mark, and, and thank David. Our scripture lesson for today as we begin this series is from Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Would you please stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store away all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. You may be seated. 
So here we go again. Stewardship time again. And there's bound to be some moaning and groaning. I understand. Some folks say all the church cares about is my money. Other folks say 20% of the people are going to carry 80% of the load. So why do we even bother talking about these things? Why bother with all of the mail-outs, emails, and snail mails, and announcements, and sermons, and Sunday school lessons? Why do we do that? Unless we derive some benefit that we get from the exercise while we're going through the motions. But I hope and pray that the moaners and groaners will not carry the day. I hope and pray that the small flickering flame of optimism and faith will be fanned by the wind of God's Spirit and that it will become a brilliant blaze illuminating the darkness of doubt and despair and doom. Perhaps many or even a few hearts will be touched and filled with trust and obedience and gratitude. And out of that gratitude will flow a stream of generosity. Generous folks have been touched by the grace of God. And I hear tell that the final act of grace is to make us gracious people. And so we begin the journey prayerfully and carefully, hopefully. Our resource guide, I mentioned the book enough just a moment ago, Discovering Joy Through Simplicity and Generosity. And of course, we will be relying on the Holy Scriptures, as we always do, for guidance and help at this time. Today is step number one in a stewardship journey that I hope and I pray and I believe will lead us closer to the God who loves us immeasurably. There are no ways, there are no spreadsheets, there are no statistics to measure the love of God. We will consider our own financial situation even as we consider our situation together as the church and our purpose, our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ so that the world might be changed. And we go about that by living out our vision of welcoming and loving and serving all people. This week, the topic, when dreams become nightmares... And we started with a gospel lesson from Luke. And I want us to take a moment or two now to uh, look at the warnings that are in that gospel lesson. And then for a brief period of time to take a look at a character out of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll say more about that when we get to it. But we'll try to, to move through things quickly so that we might celebrate Holy Communion on this All Saints Day. Today's gospel lesson, we read it a moment ago, warnings there about stuff and accumulation, and I want to explore four of those warnings, or at least mention them. The first warning is that having a bunch of stuff or having many resources is not necessarily a sign that God is blessing us. The Sadducees were a group of religious folks, priestly folks in Jesus' day, who believed that if you had a lot of money and many possessions, that was a sure sign of God's favor and God's blessing. And if you didn't, well, then God must not be smiling on you. That's sort of what they thought. Through today's parable and in other places, Jesus teaches that this is not always so. How can we look at all the home, all the hurt? all the want, all the need in the world around us. And Alan and others have already mentioned that this day. How can we look at that and justify the building of bigger barns, so to speak, instead of sharing out of our abundance with those who are hurting the most in this world? 
abundance may point not so much to God's generosity sometimes as to our selfishness. And earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, for what does it profit us if we gain the whole world and lose our souls? Second warning by the passage is that the stuff we own can end up owning us. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves in bondage to our possessions. We convince ourselves without certain, that without certain things, our lives are meaningless and not worth anything. And we invest an inordinate amount of time and energy in acquiring all of these things that we think are going to fill the holes in our hearts and make us into the people that God's called us to be. And then, because we're convinced that we cannot live without these things, that they're going to make us who they are, who we are, that they're going to elevate our status in the eyes of others, then we allow them to have so much influence over us. It's not healthy. What would our lives be like if we had to give up everything we had except what was necessary just to survive? Do we own our stuff or does our stuff own us? A third warning in this passage is that our stuff can take the place of God. It can become an idol. We can worship it. The story of the rich fool is a story that points out the folly of covetousness. And thou shalt not covet. It's on the list of the Big Ten. It's in the law of Moses. We know about that. We don't use that term a lot anymore. But it seems to have been a problem in the early church. It exists in many forms. When we desire something that belongs to somebody else or when we put too much emphasis on stuff, things that we think we own. This inordinate craving sometimes leads to a false sense of security. This hoarding away of stuff and possessions, thinking that, well, we may need it one day to survive and that God's going to run out of stuff and not be able to care for us anymore. Luke calls it in Verse 21 of our lesson, not being rich toward God. Paul talks about it as worshiping the creature rather than the creator. What's most important to us? And then a fourth and final warning is that our stuff cannot save us. For one thing, it doesn't last. And for another thing, it doesn't have the power to deliver us from the things that enslave us in this world. The rich fool said, so you have ample goods lined up for a long time. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry, the Epicurean kind of philosophy. Or as Clarence Jordan put this passage, recline, dine, wine, and shine. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then where's all this stuff going? (laughs) To whom will it belong? Four simple warnings. For us to consider as we take this journey together and as we gather in a few moments around the Lord's table and share in the fellowship of the sacred meal. And now, for just a moment, just a couple of verses and a few brief remarks from the book of Ecclesiastes. It fits in with this. I hope it does. I believe it does. And let me just give you a warning if you've not read the book of Ecclesiastes recently. If you're down, if you're despairing, if you're having a difficult day, do not read the book of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Just don't do it. Just put it aside for a while and come back to it later. Uh, It it won't help you. It will discourage you somewhat. And uh, so a couple of verses now. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then verse 12 through 14. 
I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun, and see, all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Vanity, chasing the wind. The man in this story was called... Koheleth, I call him Colby. I think it's an easier name to remember and to pronounce. So um, I've just changed his name to Colby. And he was terribly, terribly frustrated. There was an emptiness, emptiness in his life. There was some purpose missing. He was angry and he was frustrated. Life was to be endured and not enjoyed. And in the end, it's all vanity. It's like chasing the wind if you ever catch it. What have you got? But you're not going to catch it anyway. So why such a negative outlook on life? What had brought him to the edge of despair and then just sort of shoved him on over the cliff? His words and his thoughts, we can get a clue, and I won't go through all those, but just let me hit the high spots. First of all, wisdom. He thought, he came to a point, he said, if I can acquire enough wisdom, and enough knowledge, then that'll be all right. I'll have it made. And so Colby goes back to school, and he works on a Ph.D., and he does extremely well. And all of his professors are impressed. And he sets academic records at his school, and he reads, and he studies, and he's in who's who, and he can analyze and understand facts, but he's not happy. He says something's still missing. Something's not right. So he's not ready to give up. He said, I've tried wisdom. Let's try pleasure. I don't have a lot of money, but I can borrow my way through this thing. He probably assumed I've got credit cards I can max out. So he changes his study into a game room, and he has all the latest gaming systems and technologies. And then outside, you wouldn't believe his backyard with his swimming pool and his tennis courts, and you name it, and he's got it. I mean, somebody called it Six Flags Over Colby. It was just everything you can imagine. And he had been kind of a loner until he started putting all this wonderful stuff out in his yard. And neighbors and friends just started coming from everywhere. Pleasure, wisdom, and, and pleasure. And, and then when that was falling through, season tickets to every major sporting event within a 100-mile radius and to the theater and just you name it. And, and he had it. He took up golf and hunting and fishing, and he still was not satisfied. He was not happy. Vanity, he said. And of laughter, he said, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? So by this time, most of us would have thrown in the towel, turned out to be a daddy and straight, but he figured, well, maybe this hard work thing, maybe I've missed out on that. So he found work to do, physical work that would bring calluses on his hands, and he worked and he worked from can to can't every day, and he started doing pretty well and setting aside a little money, and then he started his own business, and he hired some people, and... Things were going pretty well, and so well, in fact, he said, I'll tear down these buildings, these barns, and build bigger ones. And, and he did that, and he prospered, so he bought a new home. And the home was beautiful, a masterpiece of gardens and lakes, just the, the whole works. It was amazing. His herds and his flocks were the envy of everyone in the county. He had seen his hard work pay off in one way at least, more land and possessions than he ever dreamed possible. But you're not going to believe this. 
Still not happy. Still a sense of emptiness inside of him. He said, then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I'd spent in doing it. And all was vanity. I'd spent everything chasing the wind. And there's nothing new under the sun. And then another thought plagued Colby as he looked out over all his land and possessions. He said, when I'm gone, when I leave this world, who is all this stuff going to belong to? And he fell deeper into despair. And he sat down in his porch swing. And he put his tear-streaked face down into his calloused hands. And he began a headlong plunge into the pits of total despair. Came to the conclusion that we should eat and drink and be merry and enjoy our work when possible. And he also said that those who managed to please God had it a little bit better than those who didn't, but like chasing the wind. So we look back on Colby and we look into our own lives as followers of Christ and we should be able to spot the difficulty. We who are living on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ ought to be able to tell the difference that it's that relationship with Christ that can be missing in our life and all of our wisdom and all of our pleasure and all of our hard work and all of these other things that we think are going to give meaning will never fill up that vast emptiness inside of us. Looking back on Colby, people saw a highly educated man. He had everything that money could buy. He had it made in the shade. But if you look close, the tear-streaked face, and you could hear him saying like a babbling old fool, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities. All this vanity is like chasing the wind. And he said it over and over again. They would think him a madman. And they would think that his dreams had become nightmares. They'd be right. What's the missing ingredient when you have or think you have everything? It's that age-old dilemma, isn't it? St. Augustine said, you've made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's a close paraphrase, I believe. Paul said, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And Paul knew from experience to seek happiness and joy and meaning in this life apart from Christ wasn't going to work. There will always be the emptiness. Does it mean that wisdom has no place in the life of a Christian? No. Does it mean that pleasure is off the map for us? No, I hope not. I don't think so. But to seek those things in the hope that they can give satisfaction to this life is to bestow upon them a power they don't have. So, does it mean that work is dishonorable and possessions are evil? No. But to put all of our trust in possessions that they will fulfill our hope and our craving for meaning and purpose and direction is to make them idols. To bestow upon them powers that they don't have. Jesus said, be careful. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. To seek Christ is to find joy and real happiness in this life and hope for the world to come. Colby, Kohala, chased the wind. They had nothing to look forward to on either side of the grave. And their dreams had become nightmares. 
You and I seek Christ, don't we? And he is enough, isn't he? Amen.